Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Gazella. I am so thankful you're here with me. I'm grateful to be here today. We're here reuniting a year after the transition of your father. And you were here a year ago explaining that experience and that vulnerability. And I thought it would be a great gift. And you offered that gift for the listeners to have a peek on what a year of living with grief would look like Mm. and honoring that. And before we dive in there, I want to ask you, how's your heart doing? It hurts. Yeah. It hurts, and it's uh, it's a part that I uh, I can push away, and um, and probably and usually do push behind and, and push it aside. But today I'm 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 bringing that part forward uh, for this podcast because um, just a little while ago when you and I were doing our grounding together, we talked about intention, and um, I've been reflecting on. The, my intention, my heart's desire for this, like what is the, the, the intent behind this podcast? And I, I really want to bring that part forward that's struggled, continues to struggle, um, that misses my dad all the time. And I want to bring that forward because I want to be a voice maybe for someone who might be going through something similar and not have words for it or just for people to know they're not alone because I haven't really found uh, in the people around me, even those who experience grief, someone who's been willing to uncover and bring out of hiding, you know, this dark struggling part. So it feels, feels lonely at times it feels like I'm, I've been supporting that part. I've been holding it in my own ways, but I haven't really heard anything similar from, or, you know, close from others. Um, so, so that's the intent is to bring that rawness to light. Um, <clears throat> and I'm very aware of a resistance in me to do that as well. And, um, this almost uh, constant grounding that I'm doing as we speak. So I stay with that part so it doesn't go into hiding because it's so easy to bring the, the intellect forward, the analyzing part that'll package it all neatly and nicely. And, uh, and you want to protect, you know, um, even the listeners from, uh, from maybe what might come forward for them as they listen. So I'm speaking today from, you asked me, how's my heart? And I'm speaking from that place that feels broken. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate the vulnerability, um, the sacredness of, you know, like you just mentioned, uh, it's so quick and easy for our analytical mind, intellectual mind to want to put on that performative, that mask to present out into the world. 
yet to reveal our rawness, our humanity, our experiences. It takes work to do that. Mm. It really, it really does. And, you know, I'm very thankful and honored that you're willing to bless us with that. Um, as my twin is trying to talk to me while we're in this space. <laughs> yeah. um, what would you describe if you, I'm going to ask you this in three words or I'll, three or five words, describe what this year has been for you. Just take a moment to reflect. Confusing. Mm-hmm. Struggle. Shift. So those would be my three words. Confusing, struggle, and shifts. Can you give some detail to what, why you chose those words and what that looks like? So like the whole year, I think even, well, before I, I would say before he, uh, he died, um, he was sick for uh, five months in the ICU. So I would say that experience started even then, you know, the confusion, the um, like a sense of feeling stunned. And I, I continue to. Um, there's part of me that is uh, that seems to be stuck in this stunned state of like, wow, uh, you know, like that all of that is unfolded. You know, this this sort of that what feels like a tsunami of suffering. <clears throat> and then there's a part of me that wants to minimize that and go, well, other people are suffering more and look at what else is happening in the world. Like there's this part that will do this comparison and try to, and I, I understand now as well that that part is um, the, those parts that try to do that are, are somehow trying to deal with the pain. And so they're looking for ways to minimize and, but really the confusion of, of, and maybe the word, well, there is confusion. I'll come to the confusion part, but, but before the confusion is just this, this sort of, feeling of like we usually use the word stunning when we describe something um that takes our breath away that's you know very majestically beautiful this also feels like a stunning but in the sense of the word stun like like freeze like hold and it's like just stuns the nervous system to like oh my gosh like it's just such a contrast for me um from his like pre you know, pre him getting sick, he's very independent, very, uh, you know, um, self-sufficient and, um, and just a quiet presence that was always there that held us all together. He did it very quietly, very, you know, unassumingly, uh, uh, you know, but, but he was the, the pillar that held our family together, um, and, and for me in my life, you know, he would be like, he was just this, this constant presence. And um, I mean, I, and I knew that it wouldn't last forever, but I really didn't expect, like, I thought I would do these calculations in my head and, 
and I go, you know, my, my grandmother lived into her nineties, you know, his brothers, my uncles lived into their late eighties and, and, and he was, he was in his sort of later seventies and I'd be like, well, hopefully I've got another 10 years, you know, and then, so I'll be in my, you know, fifties maybe. And maybe by that point, at that point, I'll, I'll somehow have grown up enough to not need him the same way. You know, there was just always this sort of thing I had. So I knew that like that, that would happen, but it was very unexpected. So when he got sick and, and the trip, the, the events, the way they unfolded and him going and, and it going so quickly and so suddenly into like the severe, you know, illness of ICU and, and all of that, like there was just no, like, it feels like there was no warning. And even though like people think, well, you know, he was there for five months, like that is not warning enough for him to have died. It's like, not really, it still feels very shocking and it continues to, to this moment. Like that's the part that feels really to me a bit confusing. Sometimes it's like, there's a part that seems to be stuck in time and it's still completely like, whoa, I can't believe this has happened. Like it, every time that reality, like, you know, it, it hits me several times a day, multiple times a day that he's no longer here and I will never see him again. And I'll never hear his voice again. And it's, it's just as hard each time, you know, you just get more used to hiding it. You learn to hide it better, but it still feels just as devastating. So, and that's the truth, you know, so that, that moment never really, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like, as if I'm just, I'm just hearing the news that he got sick. I'm just hearing the news that, or, or seeing him, you know, for the last time, it, it all feels like there's a part where it feels like I'm just stuck there, you know? Um, and so that's always there. And that's the truth. I, I don't, I, I, I've learned in the past year you know, to hide it really well, master hider or whatever. It's not even a word, <laughs> but, you know, I've learned to do that, like mastered the hiding, but, but it's always there. And so sometimes it's very present, like it is right now with words and tears and others, other times it's, um, it appears as an exhaustion, uh, you know, just feeling tired, feeling like, I don't really want to, um, like, I'm just going through the motions, you know? Um, and so it's always there. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, the struggle part of the word struggle I picked. And I think I picked, what else did I pick? Confusion struggle. What was the last one? Um, shift. shift. Yeah. And so the, and so the shift part, uh, would be related to the confusion. I think there, so the initial confusion was just a complete disorientation after he died, um, after the funeral, after, you know, all of that, um, probably like three or four weeks after. Um, and it was coming to terms with my own mortality, um, the mortality of everybody that I love. And then the confusion was like, what do I do with this information that is now facing me in my face? And, and it was, it just felt completely disorienting. And it felt like I had nowhere to go for answers. Mm -hmm. 
because I didn't see anyone even asking those questions, even people who were going through grief. And, and so I felt like I was losing my mind. And I still do, you know, that, that part of me feels like I'm just, is it just me? Am I just wired this way? What is it? Like, why is no one else really asking these questions? Why is no one sitting there stunned like I am about their own mortality and having some kind of reaction to it, you know? Um, And it's almost like, why aren't people panicking? Like, you know, if we were to say today that there's, you know, meteor asteroid or whatever that's going to hit the earth and we're all going to die, right? There will be mass panic. And it's like, okay, well, maybe we're not all going to die at once, but we are dying. Where is the recognition of that, you know? And so that drives me, like, it, it feels crazy sometimes that no one's really asking that question. And so I've had to sit with that, those questions. And I, I realized also that I can't, like, those answers or, or, or whatever the process is needs to come from within, like, a packaged external answer isn't going to really relieve any of the discomfort. So I think that would be the confusion. And, the, and then there's been shifts that have come with that. You know, I know that I've, that the grief has felt pretty constant, mm-hmm. but there's been shifts that have happened around it. I don't know if you can relate yet. Not having the cognitive energy and being able to focus really impacts the day-to-day life. And fortunate for me, I was introduced to Magic Mind. It is an elixir in a bottle for me. As soon as I take it, the brain fog's gone. And what is important, I'm able to take decisive action. Because it's one thing to think about it. It's another thing to talk about it. Yet it's the action that gets it done. And that's what Magic Mind does for me. It gives me overall energy to be able to show up. So you, the listener, for the next 10 days, you are able to get 40% off your subscription. Yeah, 40%. Go to www.magicmind.co forward slash lift. Make sure to use my discount code lift, L-I-F-T. Again, M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D dot C-O forward slash L-I-F-T. You don't know what you need until you try it. So give yourself the gift of trying. I'm just going to bring a grounding Mm -hmm. so that we can see if we're in our bodies. Because having to relive those memories and be here present can dysregulate us. And I don't think at times we take a moment to see where we are. Yeah. And just release and process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm constantly, as I'm speaking and as you are, I am uh, um, holding myself gently in my body. Like I can feel my chest right now. I can feel my belly, you know, and there's a tightness in the chest. There's this knot in the belly and I'm, 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 I'm stay, I'm speaking from there. You know, I mean, it goes up into my head to formulate the words, but it's, you know, it's emanating from here. And so I'm, I'm aware and you probably, you're probably sensing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, it, 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 it's a different presence of what comes forward. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my best to stay here. You yeah. know, and that's why I'm just bringing back, because this is the whole, um, we're in very sacred space right now. Yeah. Very sacred space. And I want to honor that. And it, this isn't about rushing a system and, where we all have the right answers and we're going to say the right thing to engage with our vulnerability. It, 
it's messy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we rush through it. Mm -hmm. And I want to honor this process for you and myself and to shift the way that we can interact with these things. Yeah. I want to ask you, did you, how is your engagement with reality? Because from my own experience, and when I felt ill, it was, you know, and, you know, you, you do the mindfulness courses and the inner work and all this. And if you listen to Buddhism, the text is like reality is just as is. There's nothing wrong with reality. And which is true. Yet what happens is that our reality is constantly changing because of the impermanence. And to have to go into a new reality when you appreciated a reality that you were in, that takes a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of suffering in there. And I understand that there's sometimes these texts that, you know, bypass a lot of things or just want to act like, you know, mind over matter and just get over it. So reality is just this and just use your magic powers of mind where it's like, I'm human and I'm going to suffer. This is difficult to go through this transition of continuously having to wake up to this new reality. Mm -hmm. Can you explain, I don't know if you can relate to what I'm, I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what tools you've had to use in this year to continuously, because I'll give some information to the listeners. Um, You are a wife, a mother of three beautiful children. You are also a doctor in the field of, that's very heavy. The name is slipping me. I want to say endocrinologist, but it's not. Hematology. (laughs) Hematology. Sorry. Um, And, you know, with that hematology, you're always facing death also. There's always this high alert of helping your patients to have a better life while navigating with this grief. And so the grief from my own perspective, always grabs onto reality. And then it's like, no, no, don't, don't be in that and don't keep moving forward or showing up in the way. And so I'm just asking you, you know, how, what tools have you used in this year to see the reality as best as you could as the, as is Mm -hmm. while honoring your humanity and showing up with all the responsibilities mm-hmm. with the grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll probably start with like what reality uh, is right now or feels like for me. Because um, I don't think we're even um, taught to um, or learn how to even appreciate what is reality, let alone then deal with it. We just push through things without thinking really, or reflecting. I, I would say not, not even thinking, but reflecting and letting it land. So, so the reality was like, there's so many layers to this, right. But the reality continues to be that so my father is dead, you know, um, there's difficult family dynamics around that. 
um, with my siblings. Um, and there's grief around that. Our relationships have completely shifted with his death. So um, everyone's grieving in their own way. And, um, and my mother is a widow uh, now, and she has to navigate, you know, and I'm helping her as well. We're helping each other. And then, um, and then my reality is like learning to live in a world where my dad isn't, is no longer there in that, in the way that I have known for, you know, 40 plus years, it's like, I don't even know what this is like. I've never had experienced it before. I mean, I have experienced death and I've seen it closely. Um, but this isn't just about death. It's not the death part. You know, it's, uh, it's the part of the living after that. It's the part of, of me here kind of still standing going, okay, I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to, know. this is a new world now. It's like, it was shocking, continues to be that it's, it looks the same on the outside or similar, you know, but it's not, it's like you're navigating it and every step is new. And that's just such a disorienting experience. Um, Cause you're like, what's going on here? It's almost like alternate reality. Like, like, you know, the, the things are the same, the physical things, you know, are they're the same, but, but it's just, I'm, I'm in everything I interact with feels different, including myself, my job, even my kids and my husband, it's like, oh my gosh, what the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. So I've, I had to really like the, the first step I think was to, to acknowledge just how disorienting that was because nothing felt like um, nothing felt familiar all of a sudden, like navigating through airports didn't feel familiar because usually I would like my dad would text and, and know what, you know, so you must be here now or there now or whatever. Like there was, he was, he was usually checking in and, and the rest of the family would know that he was checking in. So he would be their source of like, you know, information for how I was. And, and so there was, there wasn't that and, and all these other little details of like, it just looks so different. And so every first of that, every first encounter with whatever, uh, you know, that first just felt really different because I had to orient with who I was now meeting this moment. And it was like, I don't even know who I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so there was very little ground under the feet to stand on none, I would say. And yet, you know, there's these things to do. There's uh, I had to take the planes and airports and whatever to come back. Uh, you know, and then I had to show up to work. Um, and I remember um, the first meeting I had at work that I was sort of uh, running. Um, and it was, I think it was the first day I got back or maybe the second day. And it, it was, it was meeting on Zoom and we didn't have our cameras on even um, for that meeting. But I must have asked a question because I was away for a while. Just again, for the listeners, I was away for like about five months, you know, um, not working away with, 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 you know, my, my dad going through whatever he was. And then, and then when he died, so I was coming back after almost, you know, five or six months of like being 
in this completely other space of attending to, you know, this, him being sick and all of that. And so stepping back into this, like I had never gone through something like that, right? It wasn't like coming from Mount leave, even though coming from Mount leave feels a little bit disorienting in the beginning, this felt completely like, whoa. And so I remember asking, um, do we still do run these rounds the way, the way that we used to, or has anything changed? And so someone on that call um, must've realized um, what I was feeling, or at least some of it. And so she sent a private message to me and she said, you got this. And it was simple, three words, you got this. But there was just something so um, powerful about that, that it, it sort of snapped me out of like the, you know, that sort of stunned state of, I, what are we doing here? And I was like, I got, you know, yeah. You know, and then I just started and, and I knew it. It's like driving a car, you know, you're, but you sit there and you go, okay, I do know how to do this. Right. Uh, but it was those, it was her, it was those three words, you know, and she probably like, I've been meaning to, to feed that back to her because it's been a year and I haven't, I haven't. And she probably, I don't know if she remembers her, her you know, saying that even, but the impact of that on me was really big. And she, she wouldn't really know unless I told her. So I want to tell her because we were on zoom video, zoom call without our videos on, like she can't really see me or anything yet. She put that in the private message in the chat box. Mm -hmm. It was just such a, you know, act of kindness. And so I remember those, there were, there was like, in terms of what helped me through this, like, and continues to. So the first step was the, the acknowledgement, you know, this is just utterly disorienting. I don't know what to do. And to sit in that and go, like, I, I remember sitting on the floor one day, just sobbing, 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 crying and saying, uh, and I wrote a letter then, cause I was, I was writing letters to my dad the first few months. And I said, I, I don't know how to navigate the world without you in it. I don't know how to do this. And I don't feel like, I feel like I don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was both of those and I just sat there and I, I don't know how long I cried for. And it was like, yeah, you know, uh, and I didn't get any immediate answers or replies or any, you know, magical experience that I can package. Like it was, it was hard and and messy. And so I, I did get up from that, you know, and uh, I felt a little bit lighter after, you know, releasing, like just acknowledging it's like, okay, you're not spending energy in denial. And I don't know what to do. So I'm going to, you know, lean on whoever I can around me. So I leaned on my spouse a lot, you know, um, to, to just to navigate, like to make sure like, you know, our plane tickets and things and like, you know, get getting to places. Thankfully I had him, um, you know, I would um, uh, look at the kids and my mom, you know, we just sort of held on to each other, you know, as we fell and sort of circled together. Mm-hmm. And then as I started to get into work, you know, the familiarity of the routines of certain things, though, that, that, that familiarity, you know, the routine that we normally um, hate and complain about, oh my God, same old, <laughs> that same old was like, you know, things that I could just hang on to, like the, the consistency. Okay, this is, so I was grateful for that, even though at times it was like, it felt like a struggle to even get into work. But at the same time, I was, I was aware that I needed that. I needed to just have something to just 
do and kind of just sleep, wake up, you know, something that gave me structure, um, you know, that allowed me to have a routine of when I sleep, when I wake up, even though at times it felt like my biology was working, wasn't really working with that routine, Mm -hmm. but I really appreciated the importance of like that, that routine, you know, the necessity of some structure. Um, so there was an appreciation of that. Um, and then, and then it's been, um, it's been an existential journey after that, you know? And, and so for that part, um, well, even before I go to the existential part, um, I did, you know, seek, um, professional help. So therapy about three months after he died, because at that point, um, it was like the, the trauma aspects of it were getting really, really intense. Um, and they were coming as flashbacks, um, you know, these intrusive thoughts and memories that were very overwhelming, very emotionally crippling, like painful. There was just such crippling emotional pain that I hadn't experienced before, like, you know, in my life, like I've experienced different kinds of pain, but this was like a, a an intense, emotionally crippling pain. So, so I, I did, um, you know, go for therapy for that. And, and maybe we can talk about that in, in a bit. And then the, the, the sort of the overarching part was the existential questions. You know, why am I here? What am I doing here? And, and I must say that that for me, I mean, I don't talk about this um, a lot uh, or much because I feel like one, it's a bit private too. Also, it's just the the connotations that come up in people's mind. You know, when if I mention, you know, that I'm a Muslim and, uh, you know, this is what I follow. But you know what? I'm going to just talk about it. Um, like that was a huge component for me was just rediscovering um, my relationship with God you know, and realizing that, you know, that I was like, I had, I had moments, um, you know, phases where I was arguing with like with God and just going, um, you know, just, just standing there like this, like a child arguing, going, I don't understand any of this. I don't know, like, why is there a world where we are born and then we all die? And that's like, that death feels like the worst thing ever. There's, it doesn't feel pleasant. There's nothing about it that feels, people talk about these beautiful transitions. None of it felt beautiful to me. Um, it was painful and messy. I didn't, I, I don't, see, I didn't see any beauty in it. You know, it's like, I don't get it. And it was like this, this sort of you know, almost like this, this debate and arguing of like, I, you know, this design makes no sense to me. This is, and just the realization that, you know what, this is the world, this is how the world is designed. And so some of that had started even when my dad was sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then I realized, you know, it was sort of futile um, arguing against the design because you know what, my arguments aren't going to change the design. <laughs> and so then it was like, okay, then what is it that I'm really asking for here? And I realized what I was really asking for was, was, was for strength, you know, and it was for guidance and it was for relief of the pain. It was for ease. And it was for the wisdom to be able to um, like navigate this design that feels so confusing, but it is the reality 
how the hell do I navigate this? You know, and it's like, if you've created it, I mean, this is just my belief set. I know with God and I say, if you've created it and you've created us in it, you must've given us tools to, to navigate this. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but can, can you um, uh, show me the way, you know? And so, and so I continue to do that, you know, and there's, there is a, there is a, there's a deep surrender in that that came with time, like after the, the 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 yelling and the screaming and the arguing and the debating internally, you know, this like belligerent child. There was this um this like it brought me to my knees literally. And as Muslims, like we pray that when we pray, we we do bow down, we bow down and then we go down on our knees and we prostrate. Like there's a literal physical um on your knees, on the ground with your head, you know, your forehead touching the ground when you go down in prostration in front of God. So, so it is, it's almost the deepest forms of surrender. And it was in, it was in those moments of surrender, the utter surrender of, of control, you know, of, of the, the, the admittance, like almost like a confession, the admitting that I, I really have, zero control over any of this, you know, and I don't even, I don't even know how to navigate this. And almost that, you know, when I would, when I would have the deepest moments of those surrenders and they got, they got, they, they got deeper with time and sometimes they're, they're less deep, more deep and so on, but they were deeper than they, than I had ever gone, you know, before mm-hmm. it was in those moments. And this makes me emotional because it's, it's a really um, there's few words for those that experience. It was in that deep surrender that I felt held. <clears throat> you know, it's almost like this this hand um, of love came around me and underneath me, and it I was no longer falling. I was held. And that I thought that in that deep surrender, I would just lose myself, you know, that it was like a bottomless well. But there's this, this graceful, loving presence that held me and continues to hold me. And it's that. I, I can give you all the tools. I can tell you all these other things. But it was those moments that gave me the energy to keep going. Um, you know, um, and so that's what I returned to. I, I return to those, you know, our prayers are five times a day. Um, I don't, um, I'm not always in that deep presence. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm in it very little of the time um, <laughs> because I feel like, you know, as humans, like the minute we get a little of that, you know, we're, we're pretty content. And then we, we go back into sort of the states of forgetting that need for that deep surrender and almost like that illusion of, oh, I'm back in control. So, but, but I, I, that the, you know, the pain, the grief of, um, of missing my dad keeps me really close to that place of, of that surrender, you know, and that in connection with God, like it isn't just a surrender. It's not a despair or, you know, in some ways it, it feels like it might be, or, or maybe despair is a door that opens to that, you know, like, mm-hmm. the, like I would be feeling 
utter hopelessness and despair before I entered into that surrender. Like it, it, it was almost like it, I needed to feel all of that to be able to draw, to be drawn to my knees in that way. You know, but once I got there um, and it was, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't like willfully, it was like screaming and yelling. <laughs> um, but once I got, I got there, it's like, okay, you know, this, this constant, this is the constant that can keep me going. And it, you know, everything else can, will change and does change, but I can keep coming back to this constant and I get to do it in my faith five times a day. And so it's that utter and deep surrender. And that's what the word Islam means. It's sort of submission. And people talk about, Oh, what, what, what is submission? They hate the word submission. We don't want to submit. We don't submit, you know? And it's like, it's, a, it's that submission and that connection, you know, that, that continues to give me the strength to keep going and keep facing the fact that, you know, I am going to die also. But if I've got this constant, you know, um, that's not, that's holding me through this dimension mm-hmm. in coming back to that again and again and again, there's this, this conviction, this knowing, this hope. Um, that that connection will also be found on, in the other dimension. And if it can be found in the other dimension, then it really doesn't matter as much what else is out there because, mm-hmm. because this, this constant, this relationship is what will keep me going. And so that's really been, you know, if I wanted to summarize the whole year of, and I, and I didn't get to that in a day or two, it was like over the year. And I continue to still realize and figure figure that out more and more, but it was that. And I, I wouldn't have, you know, in ways maybe I had substituted or not substituted, or maybe not known that I needed that as much because I, I hadn't needed it in this way prior to my dad. explained it very beautifully because some of this stuff is without words and to connect into you know feeling out of sorts like you said and and then trying to grasp back into functioning you explained it very very well and the pain that you're not going to deny the pain not bypass the pain like I say, grief is the other side of love that nobody ever talks about. There's no real preparation for it, neither. It's like, you know, like yesterday I was um, at a friend's house and her daughter um, is pregnant. And um, she's trying to like ask all about the labor and this and that. And it's like, I can share with you my experience, yet your experience is going to be your experience. Mm-hmm. Yet you have to know that you have the ability to 
go within and find those tools. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, it in your explaining, it shows that your faith in a religion helped to navigate you through this. And it's really unfortunate that we have come to a space that we have to worry about what other people are going to perceive of us because of a faith or uh, a ritual or a religion that we want to partake in. Yeah. In this year of reflection, what are your takeaway lessons? My biggest one would be um, honesty, being honest with yourself. Um, we, we sometimes, you know, we, we have this incredible ability as human beings, I think, to delude ourselves and know that we're deluding ourselves. Um, I, my, the first thing I would be is like, be honest about where you are right now. How are you feeling? What are you experiencing? You know, and, and naming it and going, yeah, I feel this, or this is what my experience of, of life is. So that would be the, the, the biggest one. And the second one is, like I said, is, is I think it's, it's really worth asking. Maybe the word worship sounds really intense, but what are you following? Because you're following something. It, do you know what it is that you're following? And and it's it and, and are you convinced? Have you thought through this for yourself? Or or does it or have you even been given the arguments? Because right now it's like people will 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 um, regurgitate even the, the arguments of why they believe something, but even those arguments will be regurgitated. They've heard someone else say them, they've heard a, a particular podcast speaker, influential person, and you know, TikToker, whatever. Um, and they're just regurgitating the same information. It's like, have you actually, like, but what is, have you thought about it? Mm-hmm. So that's the second one I would say is like, really, if you've had a circumstance in your life that has broken you open and stuff is coming out, you know, that's your chance to, instead of trying to quickly close the door on that, because I feel like it's a window too. Mm-hmm. I think like it's a window, but, and then that window does close after whatever event so it's like take the chance to ask yourself you know why do you do things the way you do um and then to be honest about where you are right now i think those would be the my two main ones is there anything you want to share with the listeners or anybody that may be listening and that is navigating with grief is there anything that you want to offer to them Yeah, I would say grief is a sacred, sacred um, experience in life that ultimately we will, we all experience some earlier, some later, some more, some less. And I think that, that in, in honoring it, honoring your own grief It, it will take you to places that you didn't even know existed. 
And so, so trusting your own journey because um, grief, the journey of grief is just done so differently by different people. And overall in, in, in not even just in Western culture, but in general, I think um, it's just, it's not a, um, it's not something people want to discuss or talk about like it's it's almost like okay if people aren't discussing it what the mind interprets is either they're over it or at least that's what my mind would interpret that it's not that big of a deal for them that's why they're not talking about it or that it's not there's there isn't permission to talk about it those are the two interpretations that at least my mind would give and it's like well maybe there's a third one that people aren't going through this but they're hiding it really well or don't know how to talk about it or or maybe they do experience it differently and it's like, so what if they do, you know, um, I know for myself that I have experienced grief very deeply and um, like to the core, it's been the most disorienting, the most distressing, you know, the most sort of shifting experience and it continues to be. And so if someone who's listening to this is experiencing that as well, please don't see that as something flawed in you if you you know if you're feeling it that deeply maybe you're awake to certain things that perhaps others may or may not be awake to and to honor that sorry is there anything that you would like to add otherwise or speak on i just wanted to speak about the 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 trauma part mm-hmm. I think that that, um, because I really think grief varies and there's been a lot about grief out there. There's books now, there's podcasts, there's all kinds of resources. Um, when they talk about this and, and almost all of them, cause I've been, I listened, especially early on, like it was very important for me to understand, you know, um, when I didn't have my own words to find words, you know, through the words of others who may have gone through experiences I was looking for for those sources and almost all of them talk about um experience like the the, the circumstances around the death mm-hmm. like there's many factors that influence how we grieve and one of them is how how did that death occur of the of your loved one or or if you're grieving something else you know I mean grief doesn't always need to be the death of someone there could be the ending of something else the circumstances of those, of that is very, are very important. And so for me, the circumstances were um, experiencing um, the trauma, you know, of seeing my dad go through this suffering, but also the trauma, because I've reflected on this quite a bit. The trauma was that I felt complicit. I felt complicit in his suffering. I felt like I was part of it. I felt like I, because I didn't stop it. It felt like I was, I, I just stood there and I watched and, and ICUs are, are, I mean, people as a physician, you know, people go to ICUs all the time. And, and it was the first time that I'm, I saw it this way from the other end and it was prolonged. Like it wasn't a few days because maybe if it had been a few days, the effect would have been different, but five months of that wow, like, I feel like there's, there's few things within the medical world that can be so, so dehumanizing. And, and to stand there and um, I, you know, I want to share an experience actually that recently happened to me. 
Mm-hmm. I was at the dentist and um, I was doing my, uh, getting my annual checkup done. And so part of that is doing the x-rays of the teeth or whatever. And so they put these, you know, people are probably familiar. They put those little things in the mouth that, and then you kind of bite on it so they can, they can then take the x-ray from the inside. And so that piece that she was putting in my mouth, like it to go to the back molars, she had to push it back and it made me gag a few times. And then even in holding it, like biting on it and, and feeling that at the back of my throat, because I have a sensitive throat, I felt like gagging the whole time. And it was a few seconds. It was the most unpleasant experience. And it immediately triggered for me when they intubated my dad. And they, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen intubation or people, if people have seen how intubations happen, they put a metallic thing down your throat and then they insert this tube, this big tube that goes down into your throat, into your airway. And I, it was, it was the hardest thing to be in a dentist dental office and to know that that trauma had been triggered. And then to have the dentist walk in, because this was the hygienist doing it. And then the dentist walked in and she saw me and um, I could see her, her face going, are you okay? But she wanted to chat with me about, you know, uh, orthodontics and whatever, because I had asked about those. So she's sitting there explaining to me about Invisalign or whatever. And I'm in, I'm my trauma has been triggered and I'm trying to breathe and I'm trying to go nod my head and go, yeah, do you have any questions? No. And I'm trying to like sound as normal as I can. Right. And I'm, and my system is like, oh my gosh, in, in, in extreme pain triggered by the contact in my mouth and bringing back all the memories of what imagining what my dad might have felt if one, if a few seconds of discomfort that I know I'm going to walk out of felt so horrible, how would that have been like for him? And not having any means of stopping it. Mm-hmm. He had no voice, with little energy in his body. Like it just, just, you know, and so she was chatting with me and then, and then she left and then the hygienist wanted to start working in my mouth and doing the cleaning and whatever. And this was a different hygienist than I usually would have. And, and so she started to, you know, wanted to start things and she didn't really know, uh, you know, she hadn't worked with me before. So I, I just realized at that point that I couldn't do this. And I stopped, I said, you know what, um, would it be okay if we reschedule this and I could just have this done with my regular hygienist? I just don't have the energy in me to, like it was unpleasant for me previously. And I just, I don't have the capacity right now to, for those to experience that, you know, with someone different. And she said, fair enough, you know? And so I was able to ask for that and not uh, suffer through it, you know, and not worry about that. I'm going to hurt her feelings. And so I'm just, and I just couldn't at that moment, my nervous system just didn't have the capacity. And so I walked out of the dental dental office and this was just a couple of days ago. And it's, 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 I can walk home from there. So I would, on my walk home, uh, you know, I just started sobbing and crying and shaking. And I sat on the, on the bench, there's a park there. And I just sat on that bench and I, I like, I, I cried with, like I was, it was loud. There's no one there, but I was sobbing loudly and crying. And ju- I just felt like 
I, I, I kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it was like, I was saying that to my dad and please forgive me for not stopping that. And I just felt so complicit, you know, it's like, we had never really discussed goals of care for him. So we didn't know what he wanted or not. And, and I mean, it wasn't my decision alone, but we, you know, if people would be like, in retrospect, why did you let it go for five months? Well, you know, it, what you, when it was day by day evolving, you didn't see the five months, you know, that's in retrospect, you saw him get a little bit better and there's hope. So maybe now he's going to come out, but then he would deteriorate again. And it was like, well, what, what were we doing though? You know, we were hanging on to this hope, but at what cost, you know, and at what suffering? And it's like, could I have done something to stop that earlier? Should I have done that, you know? And just uh, recognizing that at that point, I didn't have all that information. So it's like, can I, when I'm asking him, sort of speaking it and going, can you forgive me? It's like, can I forgive myself? You know, but I just, um, it's so unimaginable to me how, like, like you know, because I, we never got to talk, right? I don't know how his experience was. How the heck did he make it through his days? I don't know the answer to that, you know? And maybe on the other side of it with, with the medications, they do get pain medications, they do get sedation. Maybe the experience didn't land the way I am imagining it to land. But from the little I know about how awful nose swabs feel in the back of the nose or how awful, you know, when somebody's poking you in the mouth, I'm like, oh, my God, that must have been so horrific to have an NG tube stuffed down your nose and he would pull it out and they would have to put it again. It's like, you know, the height of suffering for me and not knowing and then the part where he couldn't really do anything about it. So I had to deal with that, you know. So I sat on the, on the, on the, on the bench and I, I, uh, I sat there for probably a good 30 minutes and I could see people from a distance, you know, walking by, they probably saw me wiping my tears and sobbing. And I was like, whatever, you know, and then how did I get out of that? Um, It was by like starting to walk, you know, I got up and I felt my feet on the ground because I knew I was in a you know, I was experienced, I was reliving the trauma. Mm -hmm. And this had to come out though, because, because for a few months, I hadn't had it, you know, this experience had stopped for a few months. And I knew, I knew that it, it, it didn't stop because it was over. Yeah, it had stopped because, uh, because I had, like, part of me had just buried it and said, you know what, we've had enough of this. But something woke up that day that needed to come out. Um, and so after that, I just felt my feet on the ground. And then I, I was in the park. So I felt the grass under my feet, uh, you know, and then I, I touched the leaves of a tree. You know, I touched the tree, the bark. Like it was that physical touch of these things that just brought me back into current moment, you know, because mm-hmm. I wanted to step because I was going into the house and my kids were there and everything. And it's like, I wanted to go there grounded mm-hmm. because I didn't really want to chat about this too much with anybody. It's just, again, it's like, you know, I, I say that and I've just shared the story like publicly now, <laughs> but, but in the moment, moment, but in yeah. that moment, it was like, I didn't think 
Um, there was one I could, I, I, I didn't think I had the energy to try to describe it in words. Um, but I did kind of say to my husband that, you know, cause he asked me, he's like, oh, you're back early or relatively early from the appointment. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, I actually rescheduled because uh, the hygienist wasn't there that I usually work with. And, but I found myself in that, in that experience. Like if I hadn't, if I hadn't um, given myself permission to get up and leave that day, I, I probably would have held the hygienist responsible for that, the, <laughs> the painful experience and gone, Ooh, that was just a horrible dental visit. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, you know, there's perception here because you were in a traumatic state right now or traumatized state. Mm-hmm. So there was all of that. And so that has built over the past year and that has built through professional help, like through therapy. So I just wanted to share that as well with listeners. Mm-hmm. I did like, I needed, you know, sessions with a professional who could, uh, and we use different techniques and we went back to, to processed many of these uh, experiences is why I was able to do that for myself when it came up without the, you know, the presence of another human being there that was helping me ground that didn't just come. So I think that's part is important to share too, because it's part and parcel. Sometimes we confuse it for grief and it's like, there's an overlap between both of them. They're like kind of a Venn diagram, but there's parts of this that are like, they're the trauma part. And, and, you know, and, and then the grief is, is, you know, they overlap, but I think it's really important to recognize that as well, because there is, there is help for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to continue suffering like that. There is help for that part, the grief, you know, and the sense of that loss that continues, but yeah. for the trauma part, there is help for that. Mm-hmm. There is hope for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, one last thing I would say is you the intensity with which you suffer, the fire you burn in, you know, it's not like the bigger, the fire, the more you love that person. You can actually help find ways to put that fire out and then, and then focus on the grief part, you know, cause that will be big enough. It's like, you don't need to burn in this additional fire of the trauma. You know, you can give yourself that help, that permission. And, and in fact, in allowing some of that trauma to heal, you're able to embrace your grief journey in a different way. And so that's been part of my shifts as well. So I wanted to share that rawness with everyone um, because I've had a lot of moments of those in the past year. Thank you. I also want to, you know, direct the listeners in what you explained to about the trauma and the overwhelm and, you know, seeing your father and wondering what he was going through. Also, that overwhelm is a bit of a celebration that you actually advocated for yourself and you weren't complicit. Because usually sometimes when we're in a traumatic state, we negate our own needs and we go into a bit of people pleasing and just going with the flow and looking strong and looking, not wanting to inconvenience somebody or whatever narrative there is. Yet you interrupted that and you advocated for yourself and recognized I'm triggered and this is going to be more like, this isn't what I need right now. Yeah. So that overwhelm too, is not only, you know, wondering what your father suffered, there's a bit of overwhelm of like, I showed up in a way that I hadn't done for myself before. Yeah. And that's the work of, you know, it's not about, you're not ever going to get triggered or you're never going to push the buttons of trigger. 
um, not go through PTSD because that was a bit that was could be described as PTSD. Yeah. Of that, you know, lighting up. Yet you've had the tools of recognizing you're triggered, recognizing this is going to enhance it and this isn't what I need. And, you know, allowing yourself to be with all those dense emotions. Yeah. And finding the grounding, um, the presence of what's right here, right now to bring me back into reality. Yeah. And you walked, you know, the listeners into what that would look like. Yeah. And it's no easy work. No. No, it sounds real easy. It's <laughs> And it sounds like... And it's like, oh, that's like a simple. And it's like, yeah, maybe simple, but it is not easy. No, no. And it was exhausting. Yeah. 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 The biology of our nervous system, when it is ignited, it does a whole doozy on us. And it is very exhausting. And when we do the release, there requires some rest. Yeah. Because it took a whole load on you. Absolutely. It's very energy consuming. Um, and, uh, and it's so connected with the whole body. It so, is. um, so, so I'm, and this was two days ago, thankfully it was the end of, uh, you know, a Friday. So I didn't have like to work after that. And, um, and it was, it's, you know, coming into this long weekend. So, um, but there's definitely like, I'm, I'm aware of the, the effect of that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that, you know, sharing that part with a listener so they can hear the relatability, hear what a process looks like and the tools to go into that. And, and you're still in like real time with this. It's not yeah. like something that you did a year ago and I'm bringing, I'm like, I'm still living in this. This is still my truth that I'm processing through and trying to make sense of it while I'm you know, going through the experiences. So thank you for that. It's really an honor that you would share that with the listeners. I just want to let you know how much of an amazing human being you are, how loved you are. And, you know, I'm very honored that you shared your time and your truth and your vulnerability on this podcast and with myself and the listeners. And, you know, thank you for showing up for yourself. And speaking what you needed to speak out. Um, so, you know, thank you for being you, Gazella. Thank you for this opportunity and, um, yeah, for, um, for being part of it, for being part of this journey. Um, and I hope that um, sending these, this, thoughts and prayers to anyone who might be listening, because if they were listening to this and if they've got through to the end, you know, there's, there's suffering there probably. So just extending that connection to whoever might be listening to this and whatever they might be listening to this, because once it's out there, you know, it'll find people in the time in, in, you know, at the right timing. So, so yeah, I'm just grateful to be able to share that all. I appreciate that. Is there anywhere where the listeners can find you? Ooh, good question. <laughs> I'm on Twitter. Um, uh, and um, I'm also on LinkedIn and I go by my name. So uh, Gazala Radwi. Yeah. So they can, they can find me there. 
Remember to be kind to yourself. Thank you. You don't need to try so hard. Realize you're right where you need to be. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I know that this was a really sensitive topic for many. So I value your time and your energy of being able to navigate through this discussion. It is my intention to bring awareness and acknowledgement to topics so that we can begin the change and start to evolve. So if you found anything of value in this conversation, please share it out. Share it to your friends, your family, your co-workers. Share it on your social media platforms. You can find us on all social media platforms under Lift Oneself. And you also can go to the website, www.liftoneself.com. Remember, be kind and gentle with yourself. You matter. Thank you.